This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 50 of the Wisdom by Oisa show on the Horse Radio Network. This is Mike Donnell. I'm Casey Wilbanks Coletti. And this is Sophia Aguila. Welcome to Wisdom by Wessa on the Horse Ready Network. This podcast is brought to you by the Western and English Sales Association, WISA, which provides the world's largest trade events for retailers, manufacturers, and sales representatives of the equestrian industry. In this podcast, we feature exclusive interviews with noteworthy Western and English personalities, retailers, and exhibitors who you've always wanted to talk to. Don't miss out on all the news for manufacturers and retailers in the equine industry. As WISA is preparing its debut at the DMC, Sophia, fill us in and let us know, will you guys be having another award ceremony? Yes, we will. And this time it will be after the fashion show, but again on the opening day as always, which is January 14th. And throughout the year, the board of directors nominate salespeople and also stores and then vote on the winner for each category. So that's for the Bill Shackleford Salesperson of the Year Award and the Top Hand Award, which goes to a store. Can you share with us who won? Yes, our listeners get to find out here first. The Bill (laughs) Shackleford Salesperson of the Year Award will go to James Thompson, who currently works for Milano Hats. And then the Top Hand Award will go to Kleinschmitz, which sounds German, but it's a store located in Higginsville. So congratulations to both. Yes, absolutely. Congratulations. And as always, thank you for sharing your tidbits. And I know that you're working hard to make sure all buyers are going to be able to find everywhere that they're looking for, every business, every booth. And I know that that's something that you've really been working hard on. So I just wanted to make mention of that, that contact Sophia if you're looking for anyone specific. Yes, actually, the app will help out with that, too. We have all the exhibitors listed and also the floor plan. So that might help just navigating where you are supposed to go. Yes, that will help a lot. Great. Well, let's get on today's interview. Let's answer the question Laura Ingalls gets most often. No, she was not named after Laura Ingalls Wilder, author of the Little House on the Prairie series of children's books, but she tells us that thanks to DNA testing and historical testing, she may well be a distant relative. But like Laura Ingalls Wilder, she does have a strong creative bent, which first surfaced in high school when she began designing jewelry. After a stint in the fashion merchandising world, she decided to turn her hobby into a business, and Laura Ingalls' design was born. She joins us from her home and studio in Wisconsin to tell us the story. Hey, Laura, thanks so much for joining us on the Wisdom by Oisa show. Thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to you guys today. Let's get one something out of the way first and real quick, because some of our audience is going to be bouncing in their heads and they're not going to pay a lot of attention. You were not named after, nor are you related to Laura Ingalls Wilder. That is an interesting question. Yeah, we should get that out of the way. Well, no, I was not named after Laura Ingalls. It was really a mere coincidence. My mother was a Nancy Drew fan. She read Nancy Drew books. I read all of the books. And it wasn't until the fourth grade library hour, we used to have those way back when, my girlfriend discovered the books, Laura Ingalls Wilder. And then we read all those books. I thought I will tell you that 
Not too long ago, I have discovered that there is some type of connection there to Laura Ingalls Wilder. And somebody I had met does genetic ancestry tracking. And she found a David Ingalls who was from England, came over here. He had 10 sons. And I am a descendant of Ebenezer Ingalls. Never heard anybody else named Ebenezer other than Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> there is an Ebenezer Ingalls, and I'm a descendant of him. And somewhere along the line, then Charles Ingalls would have been a distant relative to the uh, David Ingalls family. Well, okay. So that's now as far as we, I've taken it. That's all right. But now we know about that because I'm sure everybody in the back of their mind, instead of listening to what we're talking about, says, yeah, I wonder if she's married. I wonder if she's named uh -huh. that. So anyway, but that's not the case. But the case is that you as a high school student became interested in jewelry design. And then you had a professional career in the fashion merchandising business. And then decided you go into fashion uh, jewelry design on a full-time basis, and that leads us to where we are today. That's right. And, of course, there's a lot of other detail in between all those many years, but that is where we are today, and my business is now 10 and a half years old. It was one of my passions that before I turned 50, I had to make it happen. So well, I am in the industry. That's wonderful, and we're glad you are here. And I think, you know, a lot of the things you have done led up to being successful in your own business. Let's talk a bit about the product lines that you have. I want to talk a bit about the retail market you serve. I want to talk about COVID and your solution using Zoom. All those are things I think are uh, uh, relevant and interesting to our listeners. So let's first talk about your first start when you started the business. And let's talk about your client uh, retail base. Okay. So when I started, it was January of 2010. Great time to start a business in the depths of the recession. But I knew that actually it was a wholesale business and it still is a primarily wholesale business. I do service retail people uh, through my website and then through also referrals because I have been featured in many magazines like Cowboys and Indians Magazine and some of the other ones. So that's how people find me. But um, I started with jewelry, and I'm still doing jewelry. Certainly, my designs have changed over the years that I've been doing this. And then I started to add a hat band collection because my customers like this new bracelet that I had come out with. And it's a very rustic bracelet, and that is made with actually retired, recycled vintage horse tack like reins and stirrup straps and latigos. And they liked that so much, they said, hey, Laura, you should get, you should make these into hat bands. Well, those became hat bands. And then, of course, I had to have a hat to show the hat band. And then all of a sudden, because I love to create and design, it's constantly going in my mind. Now I have a whole hat collection. And last year, I was at a trunk show in Santa Fe at Rocky Gorman's store. And I had men saying, Laura, we need hats for guys. So now I've got a men's hat line as well. <laughs> and it just keeps evolving. Well, and I think everybody is glad that it did. Now let's move forward a little bit because 
my feeling is, and you and I talked about this before, when a retailer carries a product line, especially a creative line, they're not just carrying a bracelet or they're not just carrying a pair of earrings. They're carrying the creativity behind the vendor and they are placing their confidence in the vendor that they will consistently deliver to them products that they can move off the shelves. So let's talk a little bit, if we can, about the origin of your creativity and how you constantly come up with something that the retailers and their customers are going to want to buy. Okay. And that is something, actually, they know that about me, that I am constantly just creating because I think that's kind of an extra genetic or gene that I have in me that it's just create, create, create. But I have a very, very vivid mind. So a lot of times that what happens is that I'll just have, it's textures. I love working with textures and different patterns and materials and stones. And sometimes it's that, ooh, how can they all come together? And, you know, color combinations. When I'm producing uh, all the orders for my customers, that's when my mind does have a tendency to wander and uh, I'll start creating new things. Something else where some of that imagination comes from is I dream, you know, when sleeping, oh my, (laughs) I have some very colorful dreams. And so that's kind of exciting because I'll wake up and I'll have all these new designs that I just dreamt up while I was sleeping. So I'm multitasking all the time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I feel I feel you with that. Sometimes it's uh, sometimes you even uh, when I'm sleeping. <laughs> Speaking of some of the things you just said, I do want to hear more about the materials specifically that you use. Also, I found a part on your website that talks about how to wear those pieces, and you have suggestions on your vision for your pieces and how you'd like to see them worn. Yeah, absolutely. So. You know, here's something that I get a lot, a lot of comments from my customers about is that when they see my jewelry collections, when they see my hat, they're like, wow, we haven't really seen this anywhere else. Yours is always different. And that is indeed my goal is to really, people, when they see it, it's going to be different. It's going to be a Laura Ingalls design not some kind of a knockoff. So I am constantly mixing up materials. I work with a lot of different leathers. Like I said, some of the old tack. I work with embossed leather and stones. Oh, my goodness. I am I have turquoise, right? I mean, that's part of the Western and Southwestern, <laughs> and I, love, I yes. love turquoise. And I've got a lot of different turquoise that comes from a lot of different mines. But here's something else that people like about my line is some of the other stones I work with and some of them boulder opals that it's fun to educate people about boulder opals. And they're so much fun to sell because somebody will see that stone and they're all totally unique and different. And it's kind of like the stone picks that person. So (laughs) I've got boulder opals. I've got another phenomenal stone called a Sonoran Sunset. Some people also call it Sonoran Sunrise. It's becoming a very rare stone because the mine is not producing anymore. So I get these stones from an older collection. They are incredible. And a new stone that I just discovered, well, I've been working with Chrysocolla, but this is some fabulous Chrysocolla 
that has just got so many awesome colors and it complements really well with turquoise. So it's always I'm mixing it up and I have yes. different price points too. Well, in these pieces, thing. yes, in these pieces, as I'm looking at it, they're beautiful, but they're quality. And as you mentioned, those one-of-a-kind pieces are really something that you could pass down as heirlooms, especially I have a little girl that you know, wants to do everything I do. But when I, anymore, when I shop for anything, it's like, I want that quality and I want that uniqueness that I can eventually pass down to her that she can have forever. And your pieces fit that exactly. Thank you. And that, you know what, that is the goal. I mean, you know, as I said, I've got some lower end pieces. I really don't try to make trendy things, but I do try to, I want colorful things and people that, you know, if they're looking for gift items, but then my higher, higher line, that are a lot of one of a kind. Absolutely, they are designed to be passed on. Yeah, and that's great. Your oh, daughter's yeah. going to have such a you know. <laughs> you've got a collection going. She's going to be yeah. so happy. She better be. <laughs> well, and 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 in that though, when you're buying nice jewelry like this, it's so important to take care of it. But and I, I saw this on your website, and I guess it's not something I've paid much attention to. But now that I've read it on your website, I'm I'm like yes, I need to do these things, but give just a few tips for caring for your jewelry. Oh yeah. Good idea. Uh, good question there. That is, first of all, that if you've got a really nice piece of jewelry and sterling silver and you're not wearing it, a, a really good way to store it is in a Ziploc bag. That way the air doesn't get in because Otherwise, you know, the air, it oxidizes the sterling, and then all of a sudden, now you got to polish it. But if you are going to polish it, it's best to use a specific polishing cloth for sterling silver. Don't use any of that sterling silver paste or anything on it like that either. Another thing with necklaces that don't just throw them in your drawer. When you store them, they because they'll get kinked. So you want to store them hanging or laid out flat in that plastic bag. Huh, yeah. Wow. Good tips. And so important uh, to share with your retailers that they can pass that on to the consumers as well. Because again, we all want our jewelry to stay nice, but I guess those are things I don't think about. And there was another tip, but don't put your jewelry on before you use your hairspray. I, oh, yeah, right. I've never <laughs> thought of that, but that's a really good one too. Mike, you would not yeah. know about that. <laughs> I use hairspray. <laughs> That's important. Well, yeah, you know, Casey, that I had somebody, she had worn, she wore these turquoise slab earrings that used to be in my collection. And she wore them more than more than that. And I could tell they were very heavily worn, actually broke the, the silver and I needed to repair that for her. But they came to me and they looked nothing like what what I remember because she was putting hairspray on. And now you got all that sticky residue on the earring, and it totally dulled the the the, the turquoise. Uh huh. I believe yeah. it. I've yeah. learned some new tips. I'm gonna have to go polish and <laughs> straighten <laughs> up my jewelry cabinet. That's right. Well, I want to. I want to get into it, another. So you want to take care of it, because you started during the depression, the the 2010 depression. And you fought your way out of that, and things are going great. And then something called COVID-19 hit, and you've had a couple of interesting ways of dealing with that 
Part of it is relying on your reputation with your retailers that they stuck it out. But you also have now adopted new technology with Zoom presentations. Let's talk a little about that and how you do that. Sure. So, you know, that kind of very quick history that you went through as far as how I, before I started my business, but one of the things that's made me a smart business owner is that I have a very extensive background in corporate. So I was a business person before in the corporate world before I became a business owner. And I will tell you that that has been just an amazing learning experience to, to pull from as to how you do marketing, how you reach your customers. And of course, in the business world, you know, we, we use a lot of technology and Skype, Zoom is one of the one of the things that we use. So it was that, well, if I can't, if the customers are, can't come to market, the buyers can't come to market because that's getting canceled, how else can I get to them? And so I thought, let's, let's put the invitation out here that they can have a private one-on-one showing and I'll set up a Zoom meeting and we can just do it right here from my studio and they can do it right there from their home or their workplace. So it's, and I'm going to continue to promote that because that's been a great way to see product immediately. I have electronic catalogs and I don't have printed catalogs because I'm always creating. So the moment that I would get a catalog printed, it would be out of date. Uh, So I have electronic catalogs that I also send them, but it's, there's nothing better than being able to see that actual product. So Zoom helps with that. And I think it's a great solution to a current problem. Um, Among the retailers who are listening to our show, if they are not uh, currently carrying your line, but they're interested, what is the requirement or what is the criteria by which you work with and select retailers to carry your products? I do ask them what other kind of jewelry lines they're carrying or other hat lines they're carrying. I mean, I think it's important that you have, you know, something complimentary. People usually, you know, come to me because they are looking for new product, things that they haven't seen before. And that's why they get excited about my collections. So, and then, you know, I do have a minimum order and everything and time frame to fill an order, but it's pretty easy to work with me. So I'll make it work however, you know, what works best for them. But it's got to be a win-win partnership. And I have some wonderful, wonderful customers that I've built relationships with over the years. And it's it's just fun continuing to work with them and understand what they need too. What are their customers buying? And that's why it's fun going to, you know, doing trunk shows for some of my customers because that's how my the hat line started for the guys. I can understand that. Now, the other point I would want to chat about a bit, we are the Wisdom by Wisa podcast. So let's chat a bit about where Wisa fits into your marketing concept. Okay. Well, I am a member of them, obviously. And so now they are... I. I do have representation in the Denver Mart. I'm in Bonnie Kellogg's showroom, which she's got a beautiful, very artistic-oriented showroom. And that's showroom number 1370. But now, with the association moving to Dallas, I will see where I'm going to end up. It could be I'm right now working with somebody that potentially could turn into a showroom opportunity 
or it may become a temporary booth. And we will all get to see where we're going to be on that temporary booth uh, floor plan. But certainly I will be letting all my buyers know because I'm going to be doing a new photo shoot and I'm going to have an awesome ad in the buyer guide. So they need to make sure that they're looking at that buyer guide. Of course, my ad, not to sound too bold here, but it'll probably be the best one. Well, uh, I have a fabulous, I have a fabulous <laughs> photographer. Why not she's be confident in your concept? <laughs> she's the one that makes it happen. It's my photographer and the models. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then also I will be doing email, what I call email campaigns, and letting all my buyers know where to find me. So you know, Dallas Market Center. If you haven't been there, it is a big place. I think it's a good opportunity for, you know, for the uh, the exhibitors and the buyers because there's a lot of hotels and restaurants real close by. You've got the shuttle service, um, but it's just going to be, you know, right, a learning curve as to how do you navigate and find all of us. So we're going to do everything we can to make sure the buyers can find us. Well, and I suspect that uh, you'll be doing a lot of creative things to make that happen. Laura, you know, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us and our listeners here on the Wisdom by Oisa show. And good luck in all of your future creative endeavors and technology endeavors and showroom endeavors. Thank you, everyone. It's really been a pleasure talking with you today. Thanks well, so we've, had, we've had fun, too. All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Show notes and links from today's show can be found on the wisdombyowisa.com website. And, of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. There is a contact link on that website. The Wisdom by Wisa show will be published on the 15th and 30th of every month. You can listen on most of your favorite podcast players, and you can also listen on the Horse Radio Network app on your iOS or Android phone. You just search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free and it's super easy to use. Be sure to visit all the great shows on the Horse Radio Network at horseradionetwork.com. Thanks for listening to the Wisdom by Wisa podcast. Wisa, where the industry meets.